This is deep dish, right? Yeah, well, let's get deep. So, so I'm, I'm going deep on both sides. Frankie, welcome to the platform. How you doing? Uh, I'm fine. I'm happy to be here today. Thank you for having me. No, I'm excited. Uh, I'm usually always excited about these conversations, but I'm really, really, really excited about this one. Uh, we have a legend in front of us. I would like to ask you on what grounds you make a statement like that. On what grounds? Well, let's let's talk about it. One, you know, you're the co-founder of the Black Country Music Association, and you were able to push through country music and music in general in the South, right? You came here in, in Nashville, 81, right? Um, when black folks, but especially black women, you know, wasn't trying to fight that battle. Mm -hmm. And you fought that consistently and didn't stop. Mm -hmm. And you still going today. Yeah. That's why I make that statement. Um, that's why I'm excited about this conversation. And I'm here to learn, right? Because it's inspiration for me. Even though I'm not an artist, music artist, uh, I am a black man. Yes. And when I see folks like yourself that have fought in order for me to be able to fight, mm -hmm. but also inspiration in order for me to be able to keep fighting and know right. if, like, if Frankie didn't give up, like, I, I should be complaining. <laughs> I, should, I shouldn't give up either. I should still keep going. And that's what anybody that's watching and listening to this um, that might just be a person of color. Right. That's right. Um, that's and right. so that's why I say we have a legend in front of us uh, that's about to give us a master class um, and give us all type of gems on your journey, uh, your process, how you navigated that, um, how you didn't lose all your hair going through it, how you how you remained yourself, you kept your integrity and open the doors and still trying to open doors and put other people on and give them chances that possibly you did not have. Mm -hmm. And so uh, that's why you're a legend. That's why you who you are who you are. And I'm grateful for your time today. Well, I appreciate that. Did that put it? Did that do it? <laughs> that, that kind of made me see something. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and so um, let's 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 start with your journey. Let's go ahead and pick it up from right there. I know you came to Nashville in 1981, mm -hmm. but prior to that, um, what was life like for Frankie Stadt? Well, I, I always felt that I was different and very, like, weird, but I didn't understand it was just my gifting mm. that God gave me. I didn't understand that. And, you know, as a child, I heard music all night in my sleep. And so I thought everybody did. I just thought... I don't know who's playing the music, but I hear music. And, you know, I just started, I went to my aunt's house. She had a piano. As a baby, I was always banging on it. And one day I just played a song and she said, how did you do that? And I said, I don't know. Mm. And so I was an ear player. And even though I was in the band and different things, I never learned to read music. It was just all by ear. Wow. And uh, I went all the way through school like that. And, and when I went to college, North Carolina A&T State University, there, there were no programs like Belmont for professional music business degrees to be songwriters and producers and stuff. And so they wanted you to be a teacher. I had zero desire to be a teacher. All I was doing was trying to get those songs in my head mm -hmm. to the public. And so I quit after two years. And I was already playing in a band. And I was already playing by myself. Mm -hmm. And I think the one thing that sustained me is that 
I, if you just give me a grand piano and a, and a sound system, I can do a show by myself. I ain't got to have no band or nothing mm. and entertain a whole audience, you know, a lobby full of people, a room, a ballroom full of people. Yeah. Just me and the grand piano. And I developed that because I played with musicians that um, did drugs, were drunk, didn't have good equipment, wife didn't want them to play. And I thought, somewhere... There are some people who love music for real, like me, mm -hmm. and really want to do something in music that's really serious about it. And I'm getting ready to leave here and go there. And I had went as far as I could go in my hometown, playing the industry of our city, which is the international furniture shows. About 70,000 or 80,000 people come through there three or four times a year to put on the market the, the furniture that they've designed. You pick the swatches mm -hmm. for your, you know, and that's where the stores come and buy all the furniture that you see in the stores. Right. And so if you've heard of Thomasville furniture, I grew up five miles from Thomasville. That's some of the best furniture you can put your hands what, what, on. What state is that in? It's in North Carolina. North Carolina. High Point, okay. North Carolina. You know, High Point is the international furniture market right. of the world. Well, I was working my fourth job. Because everybody works the market when it comes to town uh, to help it just function, to help the same. I mean, it's so much to be done. Right. And so I said, well, I'll go up there and see what they need. They need a dishwasher. I said, okay, I'll wash this. Because I was trying to buy a piano like Stevie Wonder had. Oh. I saw that Fender Rose and I said, <laughs> I never heard a sound like that before. Right. So I said, I'm going to buy one. So, you know, as black people, uh, a lot of people don't get that we've learned to just work and save our money up. Right. My generation worked, saved their money, walked in the door, and nobody didn't want to wait on you. Right. And you walked in the door with the money to pay cash for what you wanted because you'd already scoped it out and, you know, and everything. So I'm working this fourth job at the market. I was making $1.90 an hour. What? Washing dishes all night long. Wow. And my other job, I was a nurse's aide at a uh, at a nursing home, and then I I cooked chicken at uh, Church's Chicken, and then I I sang in the band. So I had four jobs at that point. And um, my boss, about two o'clock in the morning, said he he worked at Krispy Kreme. Mm -hmm. He said I'm gonna go get everybody some donuts. Y'all can have some coffee. You dishwashers. And I said I saw a grand piano in the hall. I'll play it. He said, you wish you could play. I said, no, you wish you could play like me. Mm. And so sure enough, he said, well, I want to hear this. He comes back, you know, all dishwasher sitting around on the floor. And I get on this grand piano and play the entire sound of music. Wow. And around the corner comes a little man in a suit. And I said, uh-oh, I'm fired. He said, you're hired. We can hear you. And we have no entertainment. Mm. For our showroom, we have the largest showroom here. We have the top two floors. Mm. And he said, do you have an evening gown? <laughs> and the dishwasher going, tell him no so he can go and buy you some clothes. I said, I don't want him to buy me no clothes. <laughs> I got an evening gown. And so he said, can you be here tomorrow at 5? He said, I'll pay you $50 a night for two hours. I said, uh-huh, 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 uh-huh. So 14 nights I was going to get. Wow. So the piano was 995. Mm -hmm. So 14 nights. I'm, I'm coming in on a home stretch already. I'm already, right. yeah. And so 
I come in the next night and it was totally different. I was, I, I just walked, it was like walking in a gigantic furniture store and people doing business everywhere. With a grand piano that's been tuned on a stage. And I'm just, all I'm thinking about is 14 nights, $50 a night. That's all I'm thinking about, right? And while I'm sitting there, plenty this is why we should expand our boundaries to dream of goals we've never reached. Mm-hmm. But I was just a little country girl. I right. didn't know no better, right? right. And so I was, I was sitting there playing, and this guy comes up and he goes, heard about you. I'm the vice president of this company. You dishwasher, we're so glad to have you. <laughs> we're just <laughs> cracking up laughing, you know. I mean, they got me, but downstairs, they've got Barbara Eden from I Dream a Genie. Mm. I mean, everybody have like Jill St. John celebrities coming in town in their showrooms, and they got a dishwasher, so that's why he's laughing with me. So, <laughs> so he turns around to walk off, and he said, thanks for coming, and lays $100 on a piano. So I said, wow. I mean, I didn't know what to do. Right. So I said, excuse me, sir, you left your money. He said, let me get you a tip jar. Mm. You'll get a lot of those this weekend. So I said, wow, you're going to make your piano money in one night. I'll, I'll get a lot of those this week. He said, I said, okay, br- yeah, okay, <laughs> all right. So the, the bartenders and the cocktail waitresses were from High Point College, which is now High Point University, which is exploding, you know. And... They just, they stayed, they, I couldn't believe it, so I know they couldn't believe it. I walked in that music store. Wow, what? And I said, uh, I wanted to get a Fender Rhodes electric piano, 73 note, I want an 88 note stage model. Mm. And they went, well, how are you going to pay for that? You know. They said, yes, ma'am. Yeah, I want the receipt too. <laughs> so, so okay. So that 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 was my real beginning, my wow. real professional. And what freaked them out was they'd come back, you know, can you play Streisand? Can you play Nat Cole, Louis Armstrong? You know, can you play Gladys Knight? Can you play uh, Motown? You know, can you play Ray Charles? Yeah, but when they said, can you play Dolly Parton? I said, yeah. Can you play Loretta Lynn? I said, yeah. Mm. Yeah, I know country music. And they couldn't believe I knew country music. Right. Because I loved country music, too. I loved everything. I was a, I was like a sponge yeah. absorbing all types of music. So I got a question, Frankie. What did people do in your hometown normally? Like, you had this amazing gift and talent. But if you didn't have that gift and talent, what were what were other what people just washing dishes? What were your folks doing? What what was the kind well, of? Well, my mother was an LPN. Okay. Uh, at the hospital, uh, most people came there and they either worked in the furniture factories. Uh, I worked in the furniture factory for a while. I baked lacquer on television cabinets for Sylvania. Okay. So we we had a lot of cabinet making. We had hosiery mills. A lot of textiles. It was people came up from South Carolina to get jobs. You know, it was a textile city. Okay. And um, but North Carolina Ante State University was 15 miles away. NCCU in Durham, right. Shaw University. I mean, it was a lot of black colleges around, and and I just could not find, I couldn't find what I wanted to do in music. And I knew 
that I, I wanted to be a musician. In fact, when I was 12 years old, I stood on my mother's front porch and looked at the at the market, mm. at the high-rise buildings. And I looked at her, and I don't know why, but I said, Mom, I'm going to play there someday. Was your mother a single mother as well? No, no. Okay. I, my mom was remarried. Was remarried. Okay, okay. Um, what was that uh, household dynamic like, just growing up? Did you have other siblings? Oh, yeah. Um, I have uh, six brothers and sisters. Wow. I'm the oldest girl. They're okay. a lot younger than me. Okay. Because so, when she remarried, she had a lot of children. Okay. Um, how was how was that um, growing up? And did did your, did your family always see like, yeah, Frankie's gonna be the one that go? Or well, when you left, like, how was how I, was that? I think I think they all thought I was crazy <laughs> because because literally, my aunt gave me her piano mm -hmm. and said, let's two o'clock in the morning, one o'clock in the morning. If I heard a song now, I'm able to get up and play it. Mm. I can play what I got. You right. know, I can play what I'm hearing in my head. Right. And so I, I would literally wake my brothers and sisters up. I said, look, come and listen to this. Right. <laughs> so they were like, oh, no. <laughs> so, so growing up, what was some of your favorite artists that you really, that you, that you really took a hold to? Well, my mother took me to see uh, the Jackson 5 when I was 12 years old. You got to see Jackson 5? I saw the Jackson 5. Wow. Michael was a little boy. Came wow. to the Greensboro Coliseum. I'm cra I was crazy about the Jackson 5, of course, the entire Motown, everybody up there. In fact, I still have the letters when Motown sent my music back to me. I was, I was <laughs> when I was a teenager, I was yeah. sending stuff to Motown. Yeah. And the crazy thing of it is, now people go, Frankie, those songs should have been cut. But it's, we'll, we'll get to that later. But I'm just, I'm just saying, I was trying for a long time before I ever even got here. Right. You know, and um, I was really the only real musician in my family. Mm. And so I, that's why I say I've always felt crazy because I've, I've always just been out there by myself trying to figure it out. How, how do you do this, you know? Right. And... Um, I just, I just knew I had to leave. I knew I was going to leave. I wanted to go in the studio. I had written a song uh, in 1976 about the bicentennial and about the bicentennial from the standpoint of a black man. Mm. And it's a funk, a little funk, two-sided, 45 I cut. Ran 300 records, and the guy down there looked at me and said, I'd love to publish that. Okay. <laughs> Didn't think no more of it. It's about 10 years ago. Somebody contacts me from Manchester, England. Mm. Is this your music? Yeah, why? Oh, it's a collector's item all over Europe. Scandinavia, Asia, South America, Russia. I said, okay, I don't even believe that. I, there's no way. I, not that record. You know, yeah. I made a lot of mistakes on that record. So they said, no, seriously, you need, you need to go Google yourself. I just bought my first computer. I called him. I said, what's Google? He's like, Mom. <laughs> he was in college. He said, don't tell nobody. <laughs> so I said, you go look it up for me, Trey, and tell me if they really playing my music. And he called me back and said. And I'm, and I'm assuming you didn't get a dime. You need to sit down right now, Mama. There are 30 pages on Google. Wow. And it's all your music. And one of your records just went for $700 on eBay. Your record is a collector's item. Wow. It's a part of the Northern Soul. And it's just, they just wearing it out. 
to, to the extent, this is the extent that it is. There was a guy in Opryland when I was waiting tables out there, and he came in with a guitar. He was asking me about Gruen, and I was telling him, yeah, they can fix your neck and whatever. And I said, I hear that you're British. They play my music over there. You know, he's like, you know, I don't want to hear it. I don't care. Mm -hmm. you know? And, you know, I said, I can tell he don't care, and so I'm not going to bother him. But when he left, I gave him my card. Mm -hmm. And I said, um, when you get back home, look me up. They really play my music. And he must have went to the lobby and looked it up and came back. He said, oh, my God, I know your music. And he started just taking these selfies. And I probably looked, I was like this. <laughs> you know what I mean? I was like. Right. And he was just snapping away. And I'm like, he saw me here in America with Frankie State. And I'm like. You know, yeah. I, I, I do believe. Did you see the movie Searching for Sugar Man? Uh-uh, I didn't see that one. You heard of it? I heard of it, but I didn't see you it. You need to see it because they did him the same way. He never got paid, but when he went to South Africa, he sold out three stadiums. Mm. And the first person to call him when he got back to America, he said, I heard about you, just Bob Dylan, come on tour with me. Mm. And then two years later when he was 70, hello love, it's Mick Jagger from the Rolling Stones, come with us for a year. He's mm. like, uh-huh, uh-huh. So I wow. do believe that's, that's a Cinderella once-in-a-lifetime story. But I do believe that God will look out for you in the end. Yeah. You know, I went to BMI, went to Harry Fox, saying they're playing my music in all these countries. Can't you, you know, can't, because I know if I get paid, they're going to want their portion of it. Right. You know, and, well, it's foreign if it was America. So. So <clears throat> what, what, what drove you to Nashville and why Nashville at that particular time? Well, first of all, I'm Southern. Right. I'm very aware of my Southernness. Right. And New York kind of scared me, mm -hmm. you know. And L.A. is like, okay, that's a whole different ball game. Right. But I knew that I was writing all kinds of music, and I knew that all kinds of music was coming out of Nashville. Okay. That people were cutting R&B here, jazz, gospel, blues, rhythm and blues. All that music was being cut here, so I wanted to pitch my songs. Okay. And specifically, my country songs. And so, what was your first, when you first got here, um, was that your first time being in Nashville when you arrived in 81, or have you visited uh, before? I came to Nashville. I came to Nashville. Um, yeah, as I told you, I was a nurse's aide in a nursing home. And I, I loved, I loved my patients. Mm -hmm. I mean, I used to, <laughs> I used to take my patients to the rec room and I say, okay, okay, y'all, I know you're not going to believe this. <laughs> they be looking at me like, shut up and put me back in the bed. <laughs> I got to tell you this. I said, guess who called today? Who? Give me some cake. <laughs> I said, Dolly Parton. No, she didn't. I said, Dolly Parton called. She's going to come and sing a song for y'all. Yeah, right. Out of all the people in the world, Dolly Parton going to come and see us. Right. No, she's really coming to see you. Right. And so they said, okay, so we waiting. So then I go put on a blonde wig. An <laughs> <laughs> evening gown on. <laughs> and then I say, Game of whole show. ladies and gentlemen, are you ready? Direct 
from Nashville, Tennessee, from the Grand Ole Opry, Miss Dolly Parton. And I walk out and they go, it's you. It's not Dolly. <laughs> so I put this concert on, they be going like, shut up and let me go back to there. But then some of them will go, okay, well, I like it. Right. Well, there was a lady there, and she said to me, I said, I think I'm going to go to Nashville and just check it out, see what it's like, and stay out there a week. You know what she said to me? She said, I play the Stradivarius violin. Mm. I said, really? Mm. She said, I played in Vienna. Mm. When I was a young woman, I traveled all over Europe. I never, she never mentioned it. She said, look on top of my closet. And there it sits. Mm. She said, I got married and had children, and that was the end of my music. She said, nobody comes to see me. Mm. She said, I'm just sitting here. She said, go for your music, honey. Wow. That changed it for me. Wow. That changed it for me. And she said, and let me know what you think about it when you get back. So I, I came to Nashville, stayed a week. First person I met was Maggie Cavender over in the Maypop uh, building. And she was just a tiny little woman with this cowgirl head on. She looked like a little tiny Annie Ogle, didn't weigh 100 pounds, dripping wet. And she was the force behind the group Alabama. Mm. And I walked in this office and she said, who are you? I said, well, I'm Frankie. What are you going to do? I said, well, I'm going to come to Nashville and get a break. She said, you can do it if you work hard. Mm. And I thought, wow. Yeah. Okay. And she was just very nice to me. Right. You know, and I just <clears throat> kind of walked up and down Music Road and I thought, this looks like where I'm from. Right. This, these are not cold, big, huge buildings. These are houses. Right. You know. And so I just went around town and learned what I could learn. Right. And went back home and worked six months and saved my money up. In the interim, it used to be a place called Leslie's over on Jefferson Street. Okay. No, over on Buckhannon Street. And I walked in there, and this is so. This is really wild. And so these people said, where you from? We ain't never seen you before. I said, well, what do y'all do? Y'all just live in this, in this <laughs> restaurant every day? And they said, what you here? Why, where you? I said, well, I'm from North Carolina. I'm coming here. I'm going to be a member of the Grand Ole Opry, and I'm going to play my music and write songs. They're like, you're yeah, right. <laughs> well, what do you play? I said, piano. And Will Henry Johnson was there. He had a funeral home across the street. He said, they said let's hear her play. I went in the funeral home and played the organ. I played Rocky Top on the organ. On the organ. <laughs> hey, Rocky Top on the organ in the field. Lord have mercy. Mm. <laughs> and, and, and I was like, wow. Right. So we go back to the restaurant, and this lady looks at me, and she says, uh, I'm Georgia. My husband's Tupi. She said, here's our number. If you need somewhere to stay, when you get back, you look us up. Hmm. I said, I'll stay with you till I can get my own apartment. I lived with him six years. <laughs> I said, well, y'all, don't y'all want me to get out? Get up. And he was a retired sergeant from Fort Campbell. Okay. And he'd say, I don't hear your feet on the floor, breakfast on the table. Come on down here. Wow. I don't know how many musicians would love to have wow. a <laughs> setup like that. How old were you at that time? I was 26 years old. 26 years old. Wow. And, you know, he would always encourage me, Mr. Poole. He said, you can do it. They, they were like my parents. Right. You know, and just just really great 
great people, man. Just great people. She was from Shelbyville. Okay. And uh, just wonderful. I mean, wonderful people. So what? So so what was the vibes like for you, like in Nashville during during that time? Um, playing your music and how many other jobs were you working <laughs> and all of these things? Well, 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 I didn't work. I didn't work all those jobs because music itself is a job. Right. And when I first moved here, I moved here in, in uh, May of 1981, so okay. I couldn't find a job. College okay. was, everybody was, all the job, any kind of job. Mm -hmm. no, nobody had jobs. Right. And so I would go to jam sessions. Okay. And set in at jam sessions. And I remember I was down on the corner of 4th and Broad where the Merchants is. Mm -hmm. I had been to Roberts. Roberts was right beside the Merchants. Then. Okay. And I'd been to a jam session there, and I was standing on the corner of Fourth and Brown. Go, well, where am I going to go next? I'm just kind of dingy, like standing there. And this guy pulls up and said, "How much?" <laughs> so I said, "What?" I'm... And he went around. I was still standing there when he came back. He said, "Hey, how much?" And so I asked this lady. I said, "Why is he asking me that?" She said, "He thinks you're a hooker." <laughs> I said, I'm not a hooker. <laughs> oh, hey, so look, being a black woman in Nashville, trying to break your way into country music, what was the scene like then? Did you see any other black women? Yes. What was the camaraderie? Where, where, was it support? Was it what was take us? What, what was that like trying to break in Nashville at that particular time and get your music heard? Okay, there, there. I knew a very little. I, I knew her. I had met her before, but there was a girl from Jackson, Tennessee, named Ruby Falls. Okay, she's a really good country singer, and she worked as a secretary on Music Row. Uh, when she wasn't traveling, she traveled. Okay. When she wasn't traveling and doing things, she sung at the uh, country music radio seminar, got standing ovation. She sang um, at the uh, country music fanfare, which later became the CMA Music Fest. You know, she was constantly recording. She ended up being Stella Parton's best friend, which was Dolly Parton's sister. Okay. And Stella was trying to get her. Uh, booking agent, Joe Taylor, to book uh, Ruby. And he finally told her they don't want to book her when they find out she's black mm. or colored or mm. Negro, as it you know, right. would say. And, um, but I, I never in all the years that I've been in this city had camaraderie with anybody. Mm. I never had camaraderie with anybody and that is that is from the country music industry to my own race, mm. and was treated very misogynistically by black men. Mm. Like, why would you think that you could do anything? Mm. I was treated in a nasty way by black men, and that, and that probably hurt me worse than anything. Right. You know what I'm saying? But again, my saving grace always was that I was always able to entertain by myself. Right. That's why I played by myself. Right. Because I couldn't depend on people. Right. Uh, I, had, I had a song I wanted to pitch to Whitney, and I wanted it produced really good. And so somebody told me about this 
young producer. He actually lived around the corner from me in East Nashville. And I I just, you know, I don't I don't get it, man. You know, I, I think musicians should have camaraderie and respect for each other and work together. And I've certainly never been the type of uh, person that wanted people to do anything for me free. Mm-hmm. You know, the Bible says servant is worthy of his hire. I'm I'm glad to pay you. Just give me my product, right? Right. So I went to his house and asked him about would he produce this one song for me? I wanted the tracks and the song. And the man cussed me out. Mm. You better give me my money. And I'm like, why Why would I come and even ask you if I wasn't prepared to pay you? Right. And I ended up doing a, a, a show one night, and he was there like, say, eight years ago. This was 20, 20 years ago when I asked him to do it. And I said, don't I know you? He didn't want to talk to me. I said, didn't you cuss me out? Mm. And I said, why would you talk to a total stranger like that? Right. He just kind of smiled. Mm. So that's the way I was treated by my own race. I really was on the verge of quitting. Okay. And I said, I'm going to go over here one last time to be in my track. Get somebody to listen to me. And there was an intern. I said, look, I can play the piano and write music. I was really frustrated. He said, okay, wait, 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 wait. You need to get in Jason Bloom's workshop. And I said, what is that? He said, you just need to get in Jason Bloom's workshop. Look him up online. So I looked it up and I thought, okay, he'll critique your music. I'm going to get in there. And I never could get registered online. Mm-hmm. So he said, I saved 10 slots for people that can't get registered. Okay. On the day of the workshop at 7 o'clock in the morning, I was sitting in front of BMI. And I had already put a piece of paper on the door that said, number one of the 10 slots that's available right. is sitting right across the street looking at you. Right. I'm Frankie. Frankie stating I'm number one. Right. And y'all, the rest of y'all can sign it. <laughs> right. I'd be there at 7 o'clock in the morning. This started at 12. Right. Then I'd go home once the doors open and then come back. Mm-hmm. And I said... If this man tells me to quit, I'm going to quit. Because I got so much of my life tied up in this. I'm going to give up. Right. And he was literally just throwing CDs at people. He was like, go write something that I never heard before. Do you have anything original? This, oh, God, this is, yeah, what, mm. what, 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 you, do you think that's a good lyric? But that's what you need. Right. That's what I couldn't get all those years. Mm. You know, and so. I was, you know, I was fascinated with him. You know, I was, but then I thought, you know, he might not like my, if he throw my song, okay, I'm going to get up and run out. Okay, I'm going to leave. If he goes to the bathroom, I'm going to go up there and get my CD and leave. Right. At, at that moment, he said, who is Frankie Staten? I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> you. Here I am, older than everybody sitting there, you know. He said, you can go on and raise your hand up, ma'am. Everybody getting ready to hear it. Right. And he played, you know, usually you get 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. He played an entire six-minute song. He said, I have one problem with your song. He said, you have one line. One line to fix. 
in an avant-garde jazz standard that'll be played a hundred years from now. Mm. So I said, huh? He said, this is Michael Buble. Mm. He said, this is Diana Krall. Wow. This is Nora Jones. This is huge right here. He said, class, and she wrote the melody and the lyric. I was looking at him like he was crazy. Because when you've been beat down for 40 years, right. you, you, you really, I mean, it's foreign to you right. for anybody to encourage you. Right. you know? i give you a, one other example. I used to sing. I met Ralph Emery. Okay. And I, I said to him, I said, I've been seeing your show. You need me in the morning. He said, to do what? I said, to light your screen up. He said, well, come on down there in the morning. And it was midnight <laughs> then. I had to get up at 3.30. So I went down there, and I was on his show 10 years. Wow. One day, Kenny Sears said, you always talking about your music. See that guy right there sitting in the audience? He's a big-time songwriter. You ought to tell him to listen to your songs. I said, you know I'm going to do it. Right. And I went up to him, and I said, um, I'm a songwriter, and I, I really want somebody to listen. He said, he said I'll listen to your songs. He said, they ain't no good, I tell you. I said, well, that's fine. Right. You know, sit beside me on the bench. I started playing him country songs. Right. He said, you wrote that? I said, yes. He said, play me another song. Played him another song. He said, play me another. Mm -hmm. He said, how many songs you got? I said, I don't know. I've been writing songs a long time. He said, what you doing for breakfast? I said, um. Just going home, and he said, let's go to breakfast. Went to breakfast, he kept looking at his watch. He walked me up in Sony. Mm. He said, I want to lay them three songs down that you sang for me. He said, I'm going to go in here and fight for you. Mm. And I knew that's where some of the biggest, I mean, I'm talking Harlan Howard right. wrote for Sony, Bobby Braddock. I'm talking about major, right. super huge, like walls of awards and BMI certificates and stuff, you know. So I was, I was just sitting there and looking at a blackboard, and I said, "This is how it's done." Now I'm here in Nashville, looking at a blackboard that says, "We are looking for songs for Whitney Houston." Mm. Dion Warwick, Lionel Richie. I'm sitting mm. there with songs for all of them. Wow. I said, that's how it happens. Because when you write a song for a publishing house, mm -hmm. then they hire the people to demo that song. Right. And then they had a whole staff of people to do nothing but run to this producer and that producer and got all the contacts. That's how it's done. I don't care how talented you are. Till you make that kind of connection, right. you ain't going nowhere. You got to get somebody right. that's in the driver's seat that can do it for I was just sitting there like a, I'm, I, right. I was. He stayed in there about 30 minutes. And when he came out, he was a broken man. I was like, oh, now you know what it's like to be a sister. Okay. <laughs> and he said, um, let's go. He ain't going to do it. He said, girl, I went to the wall for you. Mm. I knew he did, too. Right. I knew he did. And a couple of years ago, I was down at Muscle Shoals with some of my friends from England. And we went to the Alabama Songwriters Hall of Fame. And when we walked in the door, 
the first gold record I touched was his. Mm. And he, he isn't living in my just bust out crying. Mm. And they went, what's just wrong with you, love? I can't believe it. I said, I, I couldn't even tell him. I was crying right. so hard. And I just sit down for a while and I said, that's the man that fought for me. And he had George Strait cuts, Tanya Tucker cuts. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, he was is a really well-known songwriter. Right. And I learned that it's two things you never forget. It's the people that treat you like a dog mm-hmm. and the people that treat you exceptionally kind. Right. So his name was Mac Bickery. I won't never forget him for that. Why do you believe that you just kept getting these no's, even from people that were just fighting on your behalf. Um, and you know, like, your music is being played all in different countries. Um, people recognize your talent. They knew. They, they couldn't ignore it. But they didn't want to, to that light to really shine on you like you deserved it to I be. Don't know. I don't know what it is. You know, somebody took me to uh, Major Bob Publishing. That's Garth Brooks' manager. Okay. And they said, you need to be writing for them, Frankie. We're just going to take you in a writer's room and let you just play that piano and sing some of your songs. And I was in there playing, and I have my own little style, don't you think? I have my own sound, my own whatever. I was in there playing, and the people came out of the writer's rooms. They said, are you going to be Are you gonna be writing here? And I said, I hope so. Right. But, I, but I, didn't, I didn't get signed. In that instance, I didn't get signed because I was up against a girl that they would get a quarter publishing of a song that they already knew was going to be cut by somebody. Okay. You know, and, but it bothered me that they thought enough of me to come in there and they could hear me. Right. And ask me, was I going to be, was I going to be, going to be, right. going to be right here? And then in other instances, I asked people, you know, Dennis Morgan, man, song of the year. He wrote, I was country when country wasn't cool. I, could you you listen to my music? He said, I, I started listening to one person. I got 40 people hanging around my office. So I went after um, David Briggs, co-wrote Didn't We Almost Have It All for Whitney Houston. Okay. See, those songs were coming out of Nashville. Yeah. And um, he said, no, my publishing company is just for me. Mm. So, you know, I, I, was, I was really, <laughs> I was... I was trying. <laughs> were you, were you seeing um, at the time other other black women, um, other black folks trying just as hard and not getting the not getting the breaks, or was it kind of purely based on like you seen maybe black men getting the breaks and not black women? Um, how how much how much do so you think that played saw, a factor? Into I it? saw uh, black men get breaks. Okay, as writers. Okay. Uh, but they, they won't have nothing to do with you, mm-hmm. you know. They were staff writers for major publishing houses. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a lot of them, just a couple of them. Right. But they, you know, it's like, hey and bye. Right. You know, don't, don't ask me about nothing because I'm not going to do nothing to help you. And I think because, the, because back then it was like you wrote with writers who were already signed to publishing houses. Right. Because to I had no value to them mm-hmm. because I wasn't writing for a publisher. Right. You see what I'm saying? But if I'd been a Warner Brothers writer or a Warner Chapel or whatever, oh yeah, I write with Frank. In fact, I went to uh, a number one party of a friend of mine. She wrote a song called "How Can I Help You Say Goodbye" 
Patty Loveless. And I was invited to go to her number one party with another girl that was friends with us. She said, let's go over here. She said, Karen got a number one party. Let's go. So I'd never been to a number one party before. Mm -hmm. And I walked in, and one of those black guys said to me, how did you get in here? Mm. I said, through the door. <laughs> yeah. So even getting all that hate, backlash, um, from your own kind, what inspires you to start the Black Country Music Association? Like, cause you could have been like, I, why I need to start something for black folks if black folks is not, well, is not trying to help me or help each other and let me just focus on myself. What, what inspires you to, to still want to create a space for, for people that look like you in, 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 I in knew, country music? I knew that I was not the only person being treated that way. Mm -hmm. And I also knew that I didn't want to treat people the way people had treated me. Mm -hmm. And I thought there was power in numbers. Right. So my aunt sent me a copy of a story from the New York News and Record, which I meant to bring you, but I didn't. And it talked, it, it said, has country music become a soundtrack for white flight? And it was about why don't you have diversity in country music? Mm. And the label heads on Music Row were saying we can't find black country singers. You know, they the ones we find they're rhythm and blues singers, and you know they they uh, uh, couldn't make it in in L.A. So they came to Nashville and tried to be country. I challenged the story and invited them to Nashville to see the black country singers. Mm. And did it during Black History Month, where you can do anything. Right. And Amy Curlin said, yeah, you can have the Bluebird Cafe. So I wanted it in a venue that the industry would support. Right. And I knew that someday, like I told Rolling Stone, I knew nobody would believe me. And so I filmed all of it. Hmm. So they can't dispute it now. Right. You know. And we had pure country singers. I mean, unbelievable, undeniable country singers. Right. And there were a lot of people that did not like me because they couldn't get on the, on, on the show. Right. But I wanted to remain true to the integrity of country music. Right. So this ain't a hip-hop show. This ain't a rap show. This ain't a jazz this is country, right. so you had to be country to be on it. Right. And there's a lot of people. And one guy got so mad at me because he couldn't get on the show, he filmed it and put it online. Mm. That's, that's, why would you do that? Then he trashed me. Oh, she thought them people in Nashville was going to help, but they didn't do nothing for her. Mm. I'm like, wow. So, yeah, I... I, I but you know, but you, know, you know the saying, though, if you ain't got no haters, you ain't popping. And that's so, true. And so that's all that is. He really a fan. He was just, you know, he got emotional. <laughs> <laughs> he really a fan. He just got a little emotional, you know, you a know, little hurt. You know, I saw such promise in what we did. I, I really will never, ever, ever forget. I went, I went, we had the first show and it was just, it was, it was a media circus. It was all the TV stations, Nashville Network, 
TV station from Chattanooga. I mean, mm -hmm. all the newspapers and everything. But I knew, you know, I knew, nobody else knew, that that guy over there with that ponytail was from the New York Times. Mm. So I knew our story was going to go all the way around the world. Right. And he called me uh, three days before the show. He said, where are you practicing? I said, you don't believe it. He really doesn't believe that they're a country. Right. And, you know, he walked in. I said, that's the guy from New York. I just knew it. Mm -hmm. You know, and they went up to him. Hi, darling. It's so nice to be here today. <laughs> He's like, <laughs> I had a brother from North Carolina live across the street from Cal Petty. Mm. Grew up with race cars and rodeos. Right. Uh, I love Merle Haggard and Hank Jr. <laughs> 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 and people would call my house. He'd go, hello? And they go, oh, who that redneck at your house? I said, that's a brother. They're like, that ain't no brother. I'm like, that is. <laughs> hey. I mean, and, and I, I've been, been around these people my whole life. Right. I come from near tobacco fields. Right. You know, I heard them talk like that my whole life. Mm -hmm. I said, that's your country singers. Right. Yeah, we city country here. Yeah. <laughs> that's your city, city country. If you're born in, in the city here, you city country. Well, even yeah. Rolling Stone, when, when they when they called me and I said, yeah, it's all true. Mm -hmm. We wish we could have seen that. I said, oh, you can see it. How? I said, oh, you can see it. I filmed it. No, you didn't. I said, yes, I did. And so I said, while I'm bouncing it over, let me send you some CDs of the live shows. Mm -hmm. And uh, I said, before you say anything to me, I want you to understand, when you hear these CDs, these are black people. <laughs> right. He literally called me from Brooklyn, New York, and said, are those people black? <laughs> <laughs> yes. I said, what did I tell you? I told you. <laughs> They end up doing a 26-page story. He said, Frankie, this is, he said, this is a box release. This is a documentary. He said, my God. Mm. He said, I got a real story now. Right. I got a real story. Right. You know, and for me, you know, for me, I just wanted black people to feel like they were a star, mm. to know what it's like to do a media interview. We had, we sit in my house and did media classes. We would take a fork and go, all right, I'm happy to be here today, and you are. Yeah. <laughs> we, we yeah. did. At training. Then you we mean, practiced yeah. walking on stage. Yeah. We, get, we, we were going <clears throat> to Memphis to sing at the Mid-South Fair. And so we were practicing at SIR Sound. Mm. And uh, I said, y'all, on the last night, I got the dimensions of the stage. All right. You're going to be on, you never been on stage that big, so we got to practice. Walking out there to that microphone, it's just going to feel naked and you got to feel good. You got to come out there with confidence right. and everything. And so we did, you know, and I remember that um, when we went to Memphis, you know, my whole band was white and my band was white because I didn't know black country players at that time, you know. My band was white when <laughs> we were walking through the fair and people said, what are y'all? Because they because the brothers dressed, <laughs> they dressed like Garth. You know, right. or George Strait, right? And so they're like, I said, what do you think we are? Black country comedians? I said, no. Mm. Black country rappers? I said, come on over here to the Anheuser-Busch tent. Mm. And that is the night.
that I knew I wasn't crazy. It's a couple thousand people standing around. Right. And I got up there and I said, ladies and gentlemen from Nashville, Tennessee, the Black Country Music Showcase. I had six singers, mm -hmm. and we just ran it like an opera, bring them up one by one, right? right. And then they set up a little place where they could sell the CDs, and they had pictures and whatever. People came over and they said, ma'am, that's a really pretty woman right there. Can I dance with her? Mm. I said, she's a grown woman. Go ask her. Right. <laughs> and they go, ma'am, can I dance with you? <laughs> and they go, because they were laid. They were laid. They were laid. They were right. clean, right. you know. And so people start going out betting money. Those are black people that you hear singing in there. And people, I don't believe it. And they come and they go, I saw a man take and clean his glasses and put them back on. I thought, still black. Wow. What? That, was the, that was the game changer for me. And they said, you guys need to be on the Grand Ole Opry. I said, I live three miles from the Opry. Right. Right. And in fact, our package, it was set up for me to meet with the Grand Ole Opry. And I played them for the Grand Ole Opry. Right. And they said, you have to be good to sing here. I said, <laughs> yeah. That was the best that came through our show. I played the three best singers. I said, you don't hear that? Right. You have to be good. Should have told them to put blindfolds on. But there was a guy, he died a couple of years ago. There was a DJ on WSM. Mm -hmm. And I had two friends that were singing on there. So I was walking by, and I was standing at the window looking at them. And he said, I see that woman all the time. Who is she? And they, and they were my friends from La Crosse, Wisconsin. They said, oh, you won't believe what she did. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so he said, what? And they told him, he said, come in here and get on the radio and tell everybody what you did. And I said, <laughs> yeah. he said, you welcome on my show. Right. So I went in there and told the world. He yeah. said, we're going to set up a date. He said, you're going to come in here. He didn't come on till like 10 o'clock at night, right? Right. I walked in his radio show with eight black country singers. He mm. said, my God, this is history. And I taped it. Mm. I wanted to make sure I had a CD of it. Do you, do you think now people, even when they, because you can see something and not see it. Do you think people now actually see black country artists compared to 20 years ago, 30 yeah. years ago? Yeah. Breland, Breland sold out the, the, the Ryman. Mm -hmm. Shy Carter, you know, they had Shy Carter on that big, gigantic screen in New York. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they see it. Yeah, they see it. Chapel Heart, you keeping up with them? The oh, finals yeah, yeah, yeah. of America's Got Talent. Yeah, I just uh, somebody just put me on them a, um, a couple couple uh, days ago. Wonderful so, people, wonderful, humble, from that, Mississippi. Yeah, that's the three. That's the that's the three. Three women. girls. Yep. That's right. Mm -hmm. it's two sisters and a cousin. And uh, I was emceeing a friend of mine's documentary release over at the local near Centennial Park. Uh -huh. Chapel Heart was there, and I just started screaming. And this was like. Seven, eight months ago. Right. When I saw him, I started screaming. Right. Because I already thought they had a deal because they had so many videos out and everything. And they looked at me. And I went and got my friend Valerie. I said, come see this. And she just started screaming, too. We, mm -hmm. all, we already thought they were signed. Right. But Chapel Heart 
it's getting ready to be a game changer. Yeah. They in the stratosphere now. Yeah. They gone. They gone. They are yeah. they are gone. And they in a great position because they're independent. They really yeah. ain't got to sign with nobody. How does that make you feel as a as a black woman knowing the heels <laughs> and the hurdles that you had to jump over to see now? Well, like, the thing that I like about Chapel Heart, they're a little different. Chapel Heart, Chapel Heart, they're songwriters. They wrote their music. Mm. And they're singers and they're great entertainers. Moreover, they don't travel from one part of this country to the other. Mm. In the middle of COVID, those girls went up to uh, South Dakota to the Sturgis motorcycle rally. Mm. In the middle, and I was praying, I said, Lord, don't let them girls get COVID. Right. They were going, they've been doing fairs. Festivals. They've been cutting up. And they, they've been, if you can get an agency behind you to book, you see people already know who they are. Right. You know, and so, but when they said we're not signed, I'm like, right. How can you not see that? Mm-hmm. You know, they gone now. They were at the Opry Plaza uh, week four last, and they had to bring them back the next night. They are gone. I, I got a question. I got a question for you. Um, Knowing when you became aware that hey, like you're you're a huge sensation um, abroad, and we know many artists uh, like Jimi Hendrix, you know different genres, but you know went to England, uh, like the Muddy Waters went over there, right, right. Um, is it Nina Simone was is in was in uh, Paris, Paris. Yeah. So we we have we we there's a history of of, of black artists. When you know we don't feel our like music is being respected here in the country That's right. <laughs> that we helped build, uh, no, they helped we built, <laughs> right. and um, right. and we have this great talent, but not getting respected. And realize that like, we get more respected elsewhere abroad. Um, did you ever consider leaving? I never um, considered leaving, but I have always wanted to perform at Glastonbury for the festivals over there. Uh-huh. And I've been to England and spent like almost a month with my friends over there mm-hmm. and did do a concert in their hometown. And it was completely, you couldn't even get nobody else in the place. Like, so when you see that, and, you didn't say, ah, maybe this is my lane. Maybe this is where. And, well, maybe. But, you know, I still had things to do here with my son. Uh-huh. When, you know, he was in school and everything. I was trying to see that through and, and all of that. And, um yeah, I you know it, it's all like I said it's all about representation, right. uh, and it's not too late. Glastonbury, <laughs> Glastonbury, is twice as big as Bonnaroo. That's where Elton John got a break. Oh wow! Glastonbury has two hundred thousand people and a fair on the back of it, mm. and it goes on for like a month or so. It's just all kind of <laughs> stuff, and it, and they have they have opportunities for unknown acts, right? You know, and so I always told my son, you know. 15 minutes on the grand piano, I'm gone. He said, Mom, you can do it. You know, so when when they came, when I went to England, when I went to England, and uh, they were there at the airport to pick me up. We were on the, on the way to where they live. They live 170 miles southwest of London. Okay. I saw the sign, Glastonbury, and just started screaming. Now, you heard of Yola. Uh-huh. Yola's from Bristol. I've been through Bristol, where she's from. Okay. And actually, their son went to college in Bristol, so I went to some of his things going on at his college there. 
So I, I kind of know where Yola's from. There's a Rolls Royce factory over there, mm. right near where uh, she's from and everything. So the British are different from Americans in that Americans are like, well, what have you done right now? What's your latest song? British people don't care when you cut it. Right. They own you. They like, oh, our, uh, uh, oh, they'll sing with you. They right. just if it's good, it's good. They love, they love it. They love it. Now we just had um, a whole pile of black country singers go to the Americana Festival in England last week. Oh wow! And you know what they said? You will never marginalize us again. Mm. I like the fact that where we were somewhat dependent on music row, right? They're not. Right. They're just going on doing it themselves. Yeah. You know? But what I what I figured out was, okay, well, Music Row's not going to help me, so you won't believe this. I really did this. I went to the Hip Hop Summit. <laughs> <laughs> hey, look, you got to look. You got to find, find the people that's going gonna, to gonna support you. The Hip Hop Summit came to Opryland Hotel. Mm -hmm. And I told my boss I'm taking a week off. I'm going to it. Right. I never seen nothing like it in my life. Mm. And I was asking questions. I wasn't mm. there to get drunk, get high, party. I was asking questions, and I was standing up in front of like BET, uh, TV One, right. you know, all the radio stations. And I said, uh, "Can hip hop radio walk urban country through the back door?" They're like, "What? She? Who is that?" <laughs> right. And so. I kept and I was going to a symposium. It was going to be Queen Latifah, Russell Simmons, and Robert Johnson. Okay. So I, I had a friend that wrote for the black newspapers here, and she said, "Frank, what you gonna do if they don't take your card?" I said, "Falling and flowing at like I'm having a heart attack." <laughs> she like, "No, you ain't." I said, "Yes, I. You, uh, uh, yeah, four hundred dollars it cost me to get in here. Yes, I'm gonna fall in the floor." And so I was there at six in the morning. It started at nine. <laughs> I, I was sitting in front of the door with a cup of coffee. Right. And so I was the first one in the door. She was the second. We were sitting there, and she said, Frank, you really going to fall in the floor? I said, watch me. I ain't crazy. I'm going to act a fool. Right. And so when Russell came in and sat down, I said, he said, I said, I want you to take my card. He said, I'm not taking your card. He said, if I take your card, I got to take everybody's card. I said, you don't have to take everybody's car. They don't have anything to say. I have something to say. Right. He said, ma'am, I can't take your card. And I'm sitting there looking at Robert Johnson, mm -hmm. who's got everything, everything we need right. to get us out there. And I had actually called in on C-SPAN. He was on C-SPAN one morning mm -hmm. and got into it with the host, <laughs> with Brian Lamb. I called in. I said, they were, they were trashing Bob Johnson. Yeah, what if we had the white entertainment network? Like, you got the black entertainment network, you know. Mm -hmm. And so I was just steady hitting the redial button. So they finally said, from Nashville, Tennessee, you know, whatever. So I said, Mr. Johnson, I want to thank you for understanding that we need our own platform. Right. And I appreciate you. And we have an artist that's going to be on L.A. Live next week. And so he, he was like, really? I said, yeah, a black country artist going to be on L.A. Live. And so then Brian Lim said, well, I don't understand. He said, I don't know any black country artists. I said, I know you don't know any. <laughs> they don't want you to know us. And I said, just consider this. I live three miles from the Grand Ole Opry. The artists got to go 2,500 miles 
to sing a song on television. Think mm. about that. Mm. And so he went back to uh, L.A. and said, man, I was on C-SPAN, and this woman went off, right. went off. And Andre Barnwell said, that's Frankie Staten in Nashville raising it. That's Frankie. <laughs> we know who it is, you know. <laughs> well, um, during your time, I know you've seen probably some amazing performers uh, outside of the Jackson 5. Um, what were some of your like most memorable performances that you witnessed in person? Uh, just during your time, you say, "Oh wow, like this is different." You know, being a performer yourself. Well, of course, Whitney. Okay, you seen Whitney <laughs> twice. Whitney Houston is was. She was bad. She was that bad. I I I was just I mean exactly like the record live. Wow. I was saying, oh my god. Oh, I've never seen anything like Whitney Houston. And it and I always knew something was gonna happen to her. I was so worried about her. Mm. I always knew it. I thought Whitney hung the moon. Mm. She's probably my favorite all time female vocalist mm. in any genre, you know. Mm. But Whitney was Whitney was something. Something I I was crazy about. It. And of course, I mean, I was in the Philadelphia International OJs. Teddy, Harold Melvin and the Blue Notes, you know, Patty, all those people up there. I was into uh Atlantic Records, you know. I like I I, 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 I liked Aretha Franklin, but I loved Whitney Houston. You know, I I was as well into the writings of because I was it was always about the song and the content. Right. So I was a real uh fan of people who wrote like Henry Mancini, Burt Bacharach. Mm. Uh, Sir John Barry from England, uh, James Horner, who did Titanic. Right. You know, I studied their lives and their um, the way that they created their songs, their process, right. uh, what they went through in their lives. Uh, I was, you know, big time into film score music uh, and how it done. I, I know who scores Tyler Perry's films. And I said, you going to play my music for me? He said, no. I'm like, okay, well. <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> what what do you think you could have done anything differently through your journey? Well, I mean, I did go to New York. I sang at the Apollo. Okay. Uh, I was actually playing uh, in Union Station one night, and I played one of my own songs. And a, and a guy came up to me and said, "You used to play the song called Waiting in the Wings." I said, "That's my song." He said, that's a beautiful, he said, I'm looking for music for Bette Midler. I'm like, yeah, okay. And he just gave me his card and said, send it to me. He was with Arister, mm. uh, New York. And uh, I was engaged. And my fiance, which was the third fiance to trash my music. And he said, you know, when we get married, you won't be playing the piano anymore. And I thought, well, that sounds like prison. Right. And he said, and really nobody wants to hear those stupid little songs you sing anyway. Mm. And he said, you could never go somewhere like New York and make it. Mm. And crazy me said, I'm getting ready to find out. Right. Because he's right. If I can't go to New York and make it, what am I doing in the music business? Right. So I had met a guy 
in Atlanta at the Jack the Rapper. I went to all these music conventions, you know. Right. I was standing right beside Prince, and I was like, God, he like he's starving to death. He's so little. <laughs> you need some dumplings, boo, you know. And so I gave the guy my CD. He said, I'm from Harlem. I said, well, I'm going to give you my CD. And call me and let me know what you think. I called him. I heard my music. Mm. He said, oh, my God, these songs are beautiful. I'm like, are you asking? Can you help me get an appearance at the Apollo? He said, it's done. Mm. And I got with some friends of mine that are copyists. I just sit there and played the music, and they scored it. Because I didn't want to look crazy at the Apollo. I wanted right. to look like I knew what I was doing. Right. And I had it scored for the band and went to Kinko's and ran the copies and taped it all together and everything. So in rehearsal in New York, everybody was like, okay, you know this song? You go, did it, I got to go So when it got to me, I just gave everybody their sheet music, and I said, um, this is one of my songs. And they said, you're a composer? She's a composer. Like it was something big. I said, well, we call it a songwriter in Nashville. Right. <laughs> and so um, I made top five. Wow. And they said the only person here tonight that wrote her own music. Wow. And while I was there, I said, I'm getting ready to call on these guys right. that I met. It was another guy with them from Chrysalis. And I called him. You know, I called him. I said, you remember me? He said, yeah, we remember you. Yeah, we got your song, Waiting in the Wings. And so I said, well, I had a couple of things I wanted to play for you. They said, come on down here. They ain't never said that to me in Nashville. Come on down. <laughs> I said, you're kidding me. Went right down there to uh, Arista, mm -hmm. sit down and listen to the song. They said, well, we can't use these, but, you, you know, our door is open. Uh, we think you got some talent. Right. I had some other friends that wrote, that, that worked for BMI New York, and I went to see them. And uh, they said, you're going to move to New York? I said, no, I'm not moving. No, no, I'm not. Right. It, it was it was musicians every five feet in Grand Central Station, and playing in the subway. I said, <laughs> "This is beyond me. I can't right. I can't handle this." You know. Right. But the thing that stuck with me was that the guys at the Apollo said, "This is jazz. Hmm. We know the people. We know the publishers that are helping you. You need to move to New York." Hmm. And I. I briefly considered it. I would be willing to, to go to New York and eat out the garbage can like Madonna. Right. But I come home and find out I was going to have him. Right. So I said, okay, I'm not put my baby through that. You right. Know? Yeah. So I came home and had my baby and <laughs> broke up with his daddy and told him I didn't even like him and I was going to raise my baby myself, you know. Right. And so, right. so that's that's what what I did, you know. So now, 20, 2022, um, what is Frankie up to? Well, um, how do you how, how is music hitting you today? Well, first of all, my son is my manager, and he has convinced me, Mom, you got some really good songs, and you should not be stopped right. anymore. Right. I was a little shocked when uh, we went to the uh, Charlie Pride Giants show presented by CMT at the African American Music Museum. And that's where I met Holly. Mm -hmm. And so I said, oh, hi, my name is Frankie Staten, and this is Valerie Ellis. And she said, oh, my God, you know, and I'm like, 
Holly G from Black Opry, just so people know. <laughs> I said, I said, you know me. She said, I know both of you. Mm. And and you know, she said, and then Marcus came up to me that writes for the Tennessean, mm -hmm. and he said, oh, I'm. He said, I'm pleased to meet you. He said, we all we all owe you a debt because you you were out there. I mean, you you raised it by yourself, you right. know. You know, and so and then and then. I was playing a writer's night one night, and BMI came in and said, you have fought for diversity for a long time, mm -hmm. and we want to give you this award. I was shocked. Shan Shannon Sanders. Yeah. And then Holly G called me and gave me the Icon Award, which I was just in tears. Right. And then um, I was on different panels this year that it shocked me. You well, know? I, I really think that, like, you know, some things are still the same, but times have changed socially. Yes. And I think especially people, you know, in my generation, and a little older I would say too, like it's it's hard to ignore like the path that people have let have laid down and the groundbreaking stuff and people who didn't get everything that they deserve to get. Yeah. And I just think folks like yourself um, especially with the internet and all these yeah. things in catalog, you can put your, your catalog on Spotify and all these other platforms Sound and like stuff. My son. <laughs> and now we can go back and appreciate it, and it's more money than ever now to be made, well, well, and you know, opportunity and independency where you don't need a label now. That's right. right? You don't need right. music role. You can and, be, you can and be you can be your own booking agency. That's right. And if people want you, that's right. cool. Let's that's do right. it. This is my fee. I can make it happen. Here's my. This is what I need. And so I think, like, you know, uh, I'm giving you your whole bouquet of flowers now because you deserve them. But I think you have even more coming um, in many different ways. Oh, that's uh, wonderful. Yeah, and, and, you, and we, I think we see it happening. People just reaching back and say, like, he or she deserved to be up here. And yeah. so um, I'm, I'm looking forward to, to, to that happening for you, not just well, here. Well, I'm looking forward for it. <laughs> I've been looking forward for it for 41 years, you know. But I'm I'm a hard worker. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I'm a really hard worker. It's just that I mean I had just been rejected for so long. I didn't know what to do. But Reese called me one one day and said, "I heard your song mm -hmm. somewhere in Anaheim, a song about California." I was telling about. Mm -hmm. She said, "Frankie, that's gorgeous." She said, "I am closing my show out with your music." She said, "That's beautiful." Right. You know, and even with the Rolling Stone story, I sent one song. I never said it was my song or nothing because I wasn't trying to get any favor. And they called me and said, whose song is Leading Lady? I said, that's mine. They said, that's gorgeous. Right. You know, that's gorgeous. Right. So, you know, I, I just, um, I had a lot of responsibility uh, I always put my son way before my music. Mm -hmm. I'm, uh, let me tell you, raising a black man right. in America right. to keep them away from guns, pants hanging on their butt, and mm -hmm. answering the phone saying, who this? Like boys in the hood, I said. <laughs> that scared me halfway to death. So I had to put my son first. Right. You know, and so that's, that's, that took a lot of time that I would have spent in music. Mm -hmm. I was being a mama, yeah, and I would do it again. You know, you right. only get one shot with your child, right? Exactly. So, but now nah, I think um, 
I think I think your time is is coming again. Wow. Yeah, I really I really believe that because I just think like technology, people's perspective on diversity and social change is different. And I think you know people just uh, just appreciate greatness a little differently. And now with just like you can just do so much without what on your own. You can yeah. just do so much, yeah. and if you're good, you're good. Yeah. And now, because of just the mass communications that social media gives you, whether it's from China to California that's to what, Europe, all of these things, right? Like, like, and you already got the catalog. It's not, the music yeah. is there, yeah. right? The music yeah. is there, and so I want to see. I want look. I come to Europe to see you. I want. I want to see you. I want to see you hit the international markets because if they already love you, like, why not? Like, why not? Isn't that weird how I found out? Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. really, you know, I, I was like, you must be crazy. He said, no, ma'am. He said, we'll buy your records for $100 a record. And I love how Holly G is, how she how she started the Black Opry, but also understands the Black Country Music Association, like, was, was the catalyst and the foundation for the Black Opry to be the Black Opry. Yeah. Right? Um, yeah. And so that's, a, that's, a, that's just amazing Well, to me. I performed with them twice. My son and I went to uh, Washington, D.C., mm. to the city winery. Mm. Took my new keyboard with us, rolled it through the airports, and uh, there was a grand piano there. You know, I don't play string instruments, which mm -hmm. is a little weird in country, but I played, uh, and I was the opening act, and then I get up there and Holly go, no, you're the closing act. I'm like, yeah. Me? You gonna close us out? She said, Yeah. I said, Oh my God. You know. <laughs> but it was a wonderful experience. And then I, I opened the show uh for the one year anniversary mm -hmm. of the Black Opry. The thing the thing that I have, I'm not the greatest singer or the greatest anything, but I have enough of all of it. Right. And I have a lot of live experience right. in terms of entertaining the very people just going to the Grand Ole Opry. I have a residency at Opryland Hotel. Right. And I play for people from all over the world. There's a, much like playing for the market, you know. Right. And to the point of when somebody walked in the door, I can read them. Mm -hmm. A couple walked in the door, had just gotten married. It's just a George Strait couple. Mm -hmm. So I played Cross My Heart from the movie Pure Country. Right. And yeah. They didn't pay attention. They were taking pictures. Uh, our lady came and said, can you play Cross My Heart, George Strait? I said, <laughs> I played it when you walked in the door. He said, you played that song. I said, you look like a George Strait couple. <laughs> and he went and got his wife. He said, she played it when we walked in. I said, yeah, I know that song. I'll play it for you. Right. I just people just walk in the door and I size them up. Right. You know. Um, you have, have you had the opportunity to play at the Grand Ole Opry yet? No. Is that still on your list? Well, you know, if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't. I say put it in the universe. Do you want it to happen? Absolutely. With, let's manifest that then. Absolutely. Let's A manifest absolutely. that. I, um, I, I came to Nashville, like I said, because of the movie, uh, The Coal Miner's Daughter, and because I was so crazy about Dolly. I was really crazy about Dolly Parton. I've met her before. Mm. And I've met Loretta Lynn. Mm. And a lot of the songs I write are based on those experiences. Right. You know that it's a game changer. It's just a second. But it's a second that can change your life. You know what I'm saying? Right. And uh, did you hear what Dolly said? 
when they started asking her about black country singers. Uh-uh, what'd she say? She said, the world is not about our white asses only. And it be taking people like Dolly to use their white privilege that they have. That's right. To speak up and call those things out. Um, and, you know, it could always be more of that. <laughs> yeah. Always, oh, yeah. Always be more of that, especially in, in country music, specifically here in Nashville. Because I say, if you look around the room and the only type of people you see is yourself, then like, come on now, like right. we got, we got, we got to, we got to really open the eyes about that. And you know, I'm not sure if the Grand Ole Opry has done a better job around diversity and how they've handled some things. Uh, but like, like at some point, it's like, come on now. Well, the whole the whole country music vibe in our generation was. Why would you want to do this? It's not about you. Right. Or, well, we got Charlie Pride. Right. So Dr. Cleve Francis said, you shook the country music tree and one brother fell out of it in 75 years. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, it's like, in, in historically, you know, like, you, you, you know, like, when you have the race records and hillbilly records, like, they've always created that divide and try to not allow black folks into country music, um, which is which is just is asinine. But for for some reason, you know, this race thing, you know, has oh, it's bad. It's bad, right? It's, it's bad. It's, it's, it's embedded in everything. And you know what's do. sad about it? If you think about it, I think the saddest thing is that we've coexisted all these years and don't know each other. That's sad. Yeah. That's really sad. Right. That somebody would think that we are limited musically as a people. Right. Right. Well, <laughs> and think about it, I don't, I, it's no way. It's no way that any any people in the, in on earth could could think that black folks in general is limited if if, if in anything I, like if they, music can't be one of those things. <laughs> That's right. It just can't be. It That's just, right. It just can't be one. You know, entertainment was you know one of the few things they allowed us to even That's be able right. to do. That's right. You know, so um, you know, but they also know too. I think like with anything, once we given the same resources. That's right. The same opportunities and chances it's and that equity. It ain't you know, it's it's you know it's <laughs> we, on. We, we we tend to we tend to dominate. It's you know, on. we tend it's to on. and so um you know I think I, I'm I'm thinking with things like the Black Opry, um uh, and just the social change that is happening, the awareness, the wokeness that is happening, um, you know, leadership, because that's where it started. These label heads and things are really starting to understand. Um, and recognize like the implicit biases, the discrimination that is just embedded in the industry itself, um, and be able to get past it, learn, reflect, acknowledge, apologize, and then just do better. Um, and, and how can an industry shut out all this other diversity? We had we had a Native American, can I sing with y'all? Right. Chinese American, can I sing with you? Right. Mexican Americans, can I sing with you? That's how many people were shut out of the country music industry. Now everybody's standing up. Right. Yeah. And you know. How, what what kind of vision do you have as head of a label that you don't want to expand the boundaries of your genre? That you don't want to welcome more people to it? 
and sell more records. Right, yeah. And you know, when, when they call country music American music, I'm, I'm sorry. You know, that might be American music to you, but I got a side of America you know you don't know nothing about, and we need to be singing about it. Yeah, but if you think about even like, you're talking about string instruments, you're talking about the banjo. Where the banjo come from? Where did the rock From from? West Africa. Well, who, who it come with? Slaves. Like, so, so, and so when you think about that context of things, like, you can't ignore that. Like, That's right. you can't, you can't, like, those are facts. Like, yeah. you can't ignore that. And so, uh, but, you know, there's that systemic racism stuff that's deep embedded in this and, country. And the saddest part is we don't know our own history. Right. That, that's the heartbreaking part. And that's, then we see a black country saying, well, why are you doing that? I wouldn't sing that music. A lot, a, Don't understand that, that, that we were there in the very creation of it all. And that's that, that's that indoctrination of white supremacy that even black people can carry. And, and, you know, the black experience is not monolithic, right? It's not a monolith. That's right. But we grow up, you know, a lot of us in a city you know, only seeing one lens of what blackness is. That's right. Right? That's and right. so that's how we can grow up and say, oh, you know, country music ain't for black people. That's right. right? Because we don't know our history. We don't, that's right. Like, that's right. Deeper than just representation. We just don't know. That's right. But if we know that, like, damn, okay, yeah, like, okay, yeah. If we, we we help create this, it's definitely for us, it's right? So it needs more of that. Um, and I think we're starting to see that now with just the independency of social media, the independency of artists, and then just the knowledge to be able to, because the internet, yeah. right? You know, we ain't got to go back and try to look through encyclopedias. We can just Google something, and That's it's right, right there, and we can see that a Frankie Staten, oh, she started this, she did this, she paved the way. Uh, let me let me hit up. Let me learn something. Let me get some gems um, and, 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 and move it forward. So I I, I really um, – I just really appreciate your bravery, your courage, because you didn't <laughs> – because you could have quit. You know, you could have – you should have oh, said this don't is – think I didn't think about You know, I'm going to say if I said you could have. You could have you 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 quit. And um and I think it's important for you to continue sharing your story because um there's somebody I, I don't think out you there you really could quit if you have music running through your head all night like that yeah and you ha have these songs and everything and I mean if you don't give it a try you know what's going what's going to happen if you don't try nothing and and, <laughs> and I mean my latest song. It's a beautiful song. It's about when you give up on your dream, mm -hmm. your dream dies. Mm. I gave the dream a human form. Right. And, you know, you're the only thing that's going to keep your dream alive. You're the oxygen right. for the dream. Right. So um, it's going to be a part of the uh, soundtrack for For Love and Country. Okay. And uh, we're just about finished uh, doing it in the studio. Okay. So it's a beautiful song. I'll send it. I'll shoot you. Yeah, sure. I want to so hear that. So you can hear it. Um, as we close, I want to I want to give you the last statement, the last, the space. I want you to do two things. One, I want to I want you to tell us where we can find your music. Okay. Um, and then secondly, just anything else that we might didn't touch on that you just want to leave with the listeners and the viewers uh, to kind of send us home with. Well, I, I, I just want to say that I've lived in this world long enough to know that to have learned and experienced that regardless of how bad things are, change comes. And I, I do think a lot of the things that are happening here today are, are, are the result of George Floyd and the fact that you could look at the country music industry and see no diversity. Mm -hmm. um, 
my music, uh, I, like I said, I have a residency at Opryland Hotel. I play the Mag Lobbies during Christmas. I play the Old Hickory Restaurant Steakhouse through the year, uh, and I, I do enjoy it. Uh, I'm going to be headlining at the Artemis Festival uh, in Madison, okay. along with my friend, Miss Valerie Ellis. Uh, she's a fierce, vintage country singer. She can blow. So we're going to be doing original songs there. That's going to be October the 8th. Okay. Uh, and that's out on Neely's Bend. Right. They got a 40-acre farm out there, and they're going to get down. Okay. You know. So I'm, I'm doing that. And um, <clears throat> my music, uh, uh, I have all links to my music. I'm, I'm on Spotify. <clears throat> I have a YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. And um, I have a band camp. So I what's that what's the what's those handles? Is just Frankie Staten? Okay. Frankie Staten, yeah. Okay. And uh they can they can hear some of my originals and we're adding to it every day. I just put a tribute up to uh Naomi Judd. Okay. To the Judds. We were there at the Judd Memorial Service at the Ryman. Okay. And um I just uh was thinking about what I'd been through in my life and I recorded a Bob Dylan song, <laughs> uh Blowing in the Wind. You know, uh, so, um, you know, we're constantly working. I'm still writing every day and uh, recording the songs that I'm writing and hopefully get them pitched to some some major acts. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Frankie, on the behalf of just black folks (laughs) and people of color uh, and just and, and just people who enjoy music, yes. right? Which crosses all race, multi ethnic, multi generational. That's right. Just thank you, um, again for the courage, the bravery, the fighting that you continue to do, um, in order, you know, for somebody to see there needs to be change, right? Because mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure you 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 affected somebody's life. Mm-hmm. Right uh, along the way, I'm pretty sure it's many persons' life, but even ones you probably didn't know. When you spoke up, you touched somebody, yeah. and so thank you for just just that courage, that bravery, that strength, that black women magic and power, and all of that good stuff <laughs> that you're still carrying with us today. And um, I'm looking forward to just seeing you continue to grow and get all the flowers that you deserve. Well, and uh, and I hope you. I hope you do more of this. I hope more people sit down with you, um, yeah. and learn and, and and just share your voice. Yeah, because it's inspirational. You know, it it really is. And 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 there's no reason why others can't yeah. continue to fight because you know times should get a little easier for each generation. That's right. You know, they should even though it's still a fight. The the fight should be a little for a little harder. We should encourage one another. Right. Don't yeah. tear each other down. Yeah. Encourage one another. For sure, for sure. And that's all you've been doing. Mm-hmm. You know, even when you got tore down, you still encouraged others. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, now you just a you just a kind, loving, patient person and uh and just thank you. And uh yeah, I know people are gonna really enjoy this. I know I did. <laughs> I hope I hope so. <laughs> yeah, no, this was deep. This was deep and it, you dropped so many gems and you know, you know, I was born in nineteen ninety. Right, like your son. <laughs> wow. Yeah, and so we didn't see Nashville the way you've seen it, mm-hmm. right? And, you know, even as parents, you know, y'all are going to shield us from some of the things that y'all see. Mm-hmm. And we end up learning about it, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, okay, this existed. This is what mama mm-hmm. and daddy had to, to fight and battle through. So um, so just paint that picture, 
for those who literally just wasn't here to see it mm -hmm. and the experiences. Like, we need more of that so we can really understand our history and know what people, whether they've been recognized or not, mm -hmm. had to fight through and, and, and go through for, for in order for us to see the city that we see today. So thank you. Mm -hmm. And just, ah, I, I'm just ready for it. I'm just ready for everything that's going to come your way. We're going to manifest it. You're going to travel the world. And you're going to get on that Grand Opry stage. It's going to be sold out and packed. And you're going to get everything that you deserve. Well, thank you so much. Until next time. All right. All right.